Set to be together. Are you pumped for being here this morning? And watching online, we wish you could be here. Hang out for January. It will be good, especially because it's my birthday. Good morning, church. How are we? Who's had a good week? Trust you had a good week. Hey, don't you thank God for the, the uh, tech team? I mean, Chris is gone to a wedding of his, I think it's his cousin. So have a good time up there, Chris. And uh, we look forward to seeing you back. But he raised up this team there. Even the young guys. I mean, you got Liam there. How old are you, Liam? Liam on a, give me a, how old are you, Liam? 12 and he's running a camera. Malachi back there. Malachi, how old are you? He's running our screens. How old are you, Malachi? Dad, how old is he? 11. 11. Good on you. 11. I was saying to, to Malachi's mom a bit earlier, uh, we were overseeing a church. Don't you just love the young generation? They know this, they know this stuff better than we do. And uh, we were overseeing a church. We're up there one Sunday, and, and this 14-year-old had his iPad. He couldn't get it working. And this 11-year-old reaches over and grabs it and says, oh, give it to me. And he fixes it. 14-year-old rolls his eyes and goes, oh, the younger generation. <laughs> How good is that? Man, they know this stuff inside and out. How good is it? So, hey, listen, who's getting ready for Christmas? I've seen people posting their Christmas tree up already. I mean, you sneak around our house, you'll see a few things up already, you know. Uh, listen, there's no doubt people are looking for something to celebrate this year, right? Uh, so many things have been postponed or cancelled, but I'm telling you, Christmas isn't cancelled. Carly, was it your Christmas tree I saw up on the post? It looked nice. It looked good. Ours is there. We just don't have the, the decorations on it yet. But Christmas is not cancelled, people. That's good. And, and let's celebrate everything Christmas means. Because the deal is this. Because of Christmas, we have our home in Him. And in the book of Acts, Paul was debating with the philosophers, you know, the Greek philosophers. He's on Mars Hill and they got all these idols and they're talking about this one's to this God, this one's to that God. They had gods for everything. They even had a God just in case they missed one called the unknown God. And Paul said, let me tell you about him. And he just brings a radical concept to the day because to the Greek philosophers, the gods were, they were brutal, they were distant, they were angry, they were not to be messed with. The only ones that would mess with them, Titans, Titans rule. And Paul said, let me tell you about this unknown God. He said in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, going to be on the screen for you. For in him, we live and move and have our being. What a radical concept. He is not distant. He is with us. He is in us and we are in him. And we even move throughout life with him, which says our abode. That's a funny word, isn't it? Our abode. Sounds like belongs in the water closet, our abode, you know, our abode, our home. That's what the word means, home. Our home is found in Christ. And last week we, we started a brand new series called Abide. I think Pastor Jez is at home. She, today she's probably moderating a service. She kicked it off by putting first things first. She emphasized the main point that abiding is less about doing and more about being. That's the foundation about abide. And the only reason it can be our foundation is because he brought us home in him. And that's where it all begins. We find our place, our home in him. And she made this great statement last week. If you're taking notes, you probably remember. Don't just do the right thing. Be with the right people or person. 
Because you see, first and foremost, abiding is about being found in Jesus and with Jesus. It's knowing, listen, one version says that you're at home. You feel completely at home with him. Not awkward. You know how you go in some people's house and it's awkward. Don't touch this. Don't touch that. You got to have the right little drink your tea with your pinky up, all that stuff. No, you just at home with him. His home is not a museum where you touch not. His home is a place where you belong. And in John 15, the major portion of scripture that talks about abiding. Listen, you need to know that this passage is about relationship, not employment. Let me say that again. John 15 is not about your work life, your employment for him. It is about your relationship with him. Don't read John 15 through employee eyes. What am I employed to do? It's about relationship. Jesus said that we are his friends, not his employees. Oh, you went quiet. However, in saying that, in saying that, remember there's always this two sides to the coin to make it whole. Because in saying that, abiding does not mean inactivity. And let's see if I can add to the statement Jez made. Sorry, Jez, I'm not correcting you. I'm just adding to the, the, the brilliant thing you said to make it even more brilliant. Is that all right? Here we go. It'll be on the screen. Don't just do the right thing. Be with the right person. Here's what I've added. Being with the right person will result in doing the right thing. Who you hang out with determines your future. Right? And if I hang out with him, I'm going to be like him. I'm going to do what he does. And she made it very clear in her third point last week that abiding will naturally produce fruit. Okay? And we're going to see that in the text that talks about abiding. John 15, if you've got a paper Bible, turn there. People here are bringing their paper Bibles. I think we need to get back to that, you know. Um, Apple will come and go. The Word of God will remain forever. And Apple just died on me. There we go. See, I told you. Look, I got it here. All right. Good on you. John 15, we're going to go there. But as you turn there, let me give you some backdrop and background to the scripture. Jesus is in the last hours with the people he loved, the guys that he gave his life to, the guys that he called on mission to change the world. And he's in the last hours. You save the best for last. And so while he's with them in this intimate setting, he starts this whole conversation around, hey, you've got to learn to be at home with me. Just as I am with the Father, you've got to be with me. And in this scripture, the concept, listen, this is how important it is to Jesus. The concept of abiding is found 40 times in the book of John alone, 40 times. And in the 11 verses we're about to read in chapter 15, 11 times Jesus talks about abiding, being at home with. Important. That's once per verse. That's pretty important. I mean, if God says something once, we take notice. If he says it in every verse, you better take notice. But not only does he say it, in this context, it is a verb, not a noun. Abode is a noun. That's my home. That's my dwelling place. But now it's turned into a verb, something that we do. Let's abide. And it means it's an action. This is what we do. He said, just like I abide in my Father's love, you abide. In other words, make sure you stay, you remain, you're at home in my love. You do that. It, it, it's in the, what's called in, when you start breaking down language, it's in what's called the imperative mood. It simply means this. It's a command, not a suggestion. I, I'm not saying, this would be a good thing. I'm saying this is a must thing. 
you do. It's a command. And the deal is this. It's not only our choice. This is going to be radical. Hang on. Grab your seats. It's not only our choice to be in Christ. It is our responsibility. Nobody else can bring us into salvation. Nobody but me, myself, my will. I choose. I decide. I commit. My parents can't do it for me. Your pastors can't do it for you. You've got to do it yourself. There's no such thing as second and third generation Christians. Only first generation. God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children. And the deal is this. We don't make our salvation happen, but we actively receive it for ourselves. And that's the backdrop to this. Now, keep in mind, the key verse in this whole section of Scripture is verse 5. All right? When we get there, you'll realize, oh, this is it. This, everything revolves around this in verse 5. So if you're ready, we're going to start with verse 1. Are you guys there? Great. I gave you a long time to get there. Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word. Now, he uses the Greek word logos, the message, the concept. You have already been made clean through this message of the kingdom that I gave to you. You don't need to get saved again and again and again and again. You already are. Yeah. Just because you get pruned doesn't mean you're lost. Right. Okay, let me keep going. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Here it is, key verse. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. In other words, hey, listen, everything you do in life, if it's outside of me, it's temporary. But everything you do in life that's in me has eternal consequences and, and it has eternal, um, what do you call it? What? Values. I'm thinking of another word. Results. Okay. Got it. Thanks, Darren, for the help. I'm not saying that was a senior's moment. I refuse to say that. Okay. Verse six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. Now, Jesus doesn't say, you've got it, you lost it, you got it, you lost it. He's saying, if you are really in me, you're going to have fruit. If you don't have fruit, you're not in me. That's really what he's saying. This is an assurance passage, not a you better or else passage. Okay? Let's just read it that way. Okay. They gather them, throw them into the fire, they're burned. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now he's not using the word logos, which is message, concept, meaning. We get the word logical from logos, by the way. But now he's not saying the message I brought to you. He's now using the word rhema, the living, spoken, relational words that I keep talking to you about will keep you clean. Isn't that good? And he says, because you are living in me and you are listening to me and you're conversing with me, you will ask what you desire and you'll have it. You go, hang on, I, I asked for a Mercedes. I, I, got a, I got a GM. I got a Holden. What happened? Maybe you weren't listening. 
Maybe it was your desire and not your desire in him. He's not talking about selfishness. He's not talking about ask anything that you want to claim for yourself. He is saying, when you are conversing with me and you are living with me and we're, we're talking and I'm speaking the will of God to you, you will know the will of God and you will ask it out of desire. Okay, just a little bit on the side there. It'll be done for you. Verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. This is the evidence, but not only the evidence. This is the way God gets glory on earth because you're bearing fruit. Verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Isn't that interesting? Joy is not contingent upon the circumstances that come and go. It is not a happiness that's fleeting in the moment. It is a deep-seated well that is there because you are in Him. Okay? So, here's the deal. Because we live in Him and we're connected to Him, I want to bring two things out of this passage that's in this text. Bring it out today. And it's purpose and fruitfulness. Okay? So if you're taking notes, I think they'll be on the screen. The first point is about the power of purpose that you find in this text. Because, see, finding purpose in life is a powerful thing. Incredibly powerful thing. It gives us meaning. It causes us to get out of bed and face the day with a spring in our step. I don't know, do you roll over each morning and go, good Lord, it's morning? Or do you roll over and go, good morning, Lord? Because you got, you got cause, you got purpose, you got meaning to your life. Not just, oh, not another day, you know. And often you'll hear people talk disparagingly about their work, right? Yeah. Oh, people just, oh, I've got to go to work today, bummer. Or, thank God it's Friday, no more work. You know that? I was at the gym class the other day and... Uh, one of the men who regularly does the same class with me said, I'll see you on Thursday. And I said, no, no, i got to work this Thursday. I can't be here. Which he replied with sarcasm. Yeah, lucky you. Because he's retired. I want to give you a statement from me. When your job is an outworking of your purpose in life, you don't long for retirement. You look forward to living out your mission. Yeah. And I wonder... I wonder if one of the reasons why people change occupations so much today is because they're not satisfied. They're not content. They're not living and working out of a sense of calling. Right? It's more about the crust, the money you earn to buy the toys you enjoy so you can retire with them. And so you endure your job rather than enjoy your mission. Yeah, but mission is for Dave's. Carrie Stevenson, they're missionaries. It's for Keith and Janet, pastors. And no, mission is for every disciple of Jesus Christ. And it should be attached to our job. You ever kind of thought it could be radical that God calls you to be a school teacher? Occupational therapist? A homekeeper? Listen to this stat, found it. I know it's five years old, so it's, it's already behind, but it's alarming. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average worker currently holds 10 different jobs before the age 40. And this number is projected to grow. 
Forrester Research predicts that today's youngest workers will hold 12 to 15 jobs in their lifetime. 12 to 15. And I just kind of wonder, is it because they're searching for something they're not finding? So it's a new experience. I, I love the chase. Watch the chase. I don't know how many times on the chase somebody, a younger person, probably in their 30s, has said, yeah, I used to be this and now I do this and then I'm going to do that. And they're already changing before they finished the other one. And they're just not content. They just don't have a sense of purpose. They're just it's something new. I want to find something new. And there's nothing wrong with, with finding new things. But what I want to project to us today is this. What about our purpose being attached with our calling and we work in that to make an impact for the kingdom of God? Bit, bit radical? Because, listen, there's power in your purpose. This scripture brings out because realize, get this revelation, you have been appointed by God. Oh, yeah, that's for the church workers. No, it's not. It's not just for the church workers. Let me drop down to verse 16. Go there with me. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Do you know that word appointed? It has nothing to do with professional calling like a pastor, a missionary, a Bible college teacher. The word appointed literally means to assign someone to a specific task, function, or role. Let me say that again. To assign someone to a specific task, function, or role. Your purpose in life is powerful when all of a sudden you get the revelation that I have been chosen in him for a cause. Do you know Jesus himself was moved by that cause? He decided what not to do and what to do according to that cause. The, 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 the disciples came to him one day in Luke chapter 4 and said, Hey, we're going to have a healing crusade. You're the man. He goes, Yeah, not. Nah. He gave them the Aussie kind of polite way. Yeah, not, not going to do that. And they said, why? All these people are lining up. And he said this in verse 43, I must. When you find that little must you got to do in life, man, it just, it, it's an awesome, powerful thing. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. This is the cause I was sent for. I wasn't sent just to heal every sick person. It's a good thing. And I like doing that thing. But it's not just about that thing. It's about the kingdom everywhere. He was moved by a cause. So I want to say to you today, know your cause and live it. Be different. Stand out in the crowd. Don't be like the modern day trends that say, hey, this is a way to find real life and purpose. As a person who claims to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, find your calling your mission, your purpose, and pursue it with all your heart. God appoints us so we can impact this world for His kingdom. Listen to me. If God called you to be a school teacher, be the best you can be for His kingdom in that classroom. If you are called to own or manage a business, do it with significance, giving Him the glory when it succeeds. If you are called to health care, then love and care and comfort the people as He would. I, I believe... The moment we find ourselves in culturally, socially, in this moment, it is imperative as followers of Christ that we shore up our purpose, our life's purpose. And it happens as we spend time with him. How did Jesus know not to heal any more people over there at Capernaum? Because he spent the night with his father and his father says, I've got this mission for you, son. Go do it. Spend time with him. That's where you're going to find your purpose in life. So I said earlier, two things come out of this text. The power 
of purpose. But the second thing is fruitfulness. The reality of being fruitful. And as we heard again, Pastor Jez said last week, abiding will naturally produce fruit. Let's go back to verse 16. The second point, if you're writing it down, the reality of fruitfulness. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear, say it, fruit. In abiding, in living in him and with him, it not only leads to our purpose, it causes us to live a fruitful life. The reality of fruitfulness. It's not a if, it's not a maybe, it's not a hope so, it's a yes, it will happen. You will bear fruit. As a matter of fact, this text tells us that we go from bearing fruit to more fruit to much fruit. Right? He's, he's not happy with just a little bit. I mean, you go find a cluster of grapes, go up to Hunter Valley, find a cluster of grapes, and it's got three grapes on it. And you go, well, that's really good. Thankful for that. Get a lot of wine out of that. Crush that with two toes. You go to the vine and you want to find clusters so abundant that people rave about it. Hey, how good is a Hunter Valley? Eat your heart out, Barossa. Much fruit. My question is, when you look at your life and you look at your purpose and if you're pursuing that, how much fruit's there? That's going to make people feel a bit condemned, isn't it? No, just evaluate. Verse 4. Let's go back to this. Remember, this is the key of the whole passage about abiding. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Everybody say much fruit. fruit. See, we can do that without being in a big auditorium. Now say it like you mean it. Much fruit. I hope you heard them. For without me you can do nothing. Now you know people who are task-driven... Can I ask a question? And be honest, God's looking. How many of you people in here are task-driven? Put your hand up. Dave Stevenson, put your hand up. Thank you. Yeah, it's okay, but you can still be. So, so you are task-driven to have good relationships. That's okay. How many people downstairs are task-driven? I see that hand, Tim Roberts. I know you're task-driven. Okay, here's the deal. For those of you that are task-driven... You read this thing about much fruit and your mind immediately thinks of the things that you have to do. Not only have to do, but you have to do more of. I've got to get busy. I've got to do more. There's not enough. For those of us that are ministry driven, mirror, our mind goes to the place of ministering to people with the result of growing the numbers. Just honest, just honest. Who doesn't want a bigger ministry? If you lead a connect group, you go, hey, if I do this, if I live in him, I'm going to have more and more people come to my connect group. If you lead a ministry, my ministry is going to grow. If I lead a church, my church is going to be big. And that's how we read it. And those are good things, by the way. They're not bad things, right? But that's not primarily what this text means. It is not talking about how much you do to get a bigger result. I hope you do, but that's not what it's about. 
That's not what Jesus means when he said you'll bear much fruit. So what does he mean? Well, the answer you seek is in the text. Text is king. Don't look any further. It's right in front of you. It's in the text. So here's the deal. He's talking to people who are subsistence living people. If I raise sheep, I trade the sheep for vegetables. So you grow vegetables. You give me vegetables. My family eats vegetables and sheep. You eat sheep and vegetables because we trade. Same with fishing. Same with growing grapes. Same with everything. We're subsistence people. That's our lifestyle. The disciples fully understood this. And they knew exactly what Jesus meant when he said fruit, more fruit, much fruit out of the vine because you're the branch. Because a subsistence farmer looks at it and goes, there's a vine, there's a trunk. Then there's these branches that come off of it. It finds its life source through the vine. And so as you see the vine getting its life source, its very existence, its DNA from the vine... So the branch will bear that kind of fruit. So follow me with this. Simple. If the vine is a tomato vine, then the branch will naturally produce. Right. You get an A. Here's what he's saying. If we are grafted into the vine, which is what? Jesus. His life flows through our life. And the fruit that grows, first and foremost, the fruit that grows is that we become like him. And we do what he does. Don't you know that in the next chapter he says, you know the miracles that I was doing, you're going to do even greater miracles than these? In other words, everything that I did, you're going to do in more abundance. And I look at that and go, golly, how in the world can we do that? And he goes, because I only ministered for three years, you're going to go for decades. You're going to pile up fruit for decades because you're going to be there longer and it's going to be abundant because you're going to be like me. Your life source is in me. You're going to do what I would do if I were there. Why do you think it's significant that we're called Christian? Christianos in the Greek, which literally means little anointed ones, little Christ. We do what he does. The fruit that grows is becoming like him and doing what he would do. And this fruit increases by abiding in him. It doesn't lessen over time. It increases over time. So in other words, I hope, I hope you and I are more like him today than we were when we first got saved. I hope we love like he loves better than we did back then. Right? I hope we can reach out and impact people with the kingdom with, a, with an anointing far more effective today than I did 10, 20, 30 years ago. Because I'm in Him. And as a matter of fact, the scripture tells us this fruit increases. Living, relating to Him, being in His presence continually causes us to become more and more like Him. How? By stripping away the things that are of me. The fruitless kind of branches that are hanging on me. Get them off. That's what he meant. If you go back to verse 2, I'm going to read it in the New Living. It'll be on the screen. Some of you have a New Living translation there. Verse 2, second part of it. The Father, he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit. Why? To cut them off? No. So that they'll be more fruitful. Okay? Verse 3. 
Watch this. You have already, he's talking to the 12, well, 11 now. You have already been pruned. The word prune and cleanse is the same in the original. Okay? You have already been cleansed. You've already been purified by the message, this gospel that I've given to you. You don't need to keep getting saved every altar call that comes. You've already been saved. You've been cleansed by the message of the gospel. The gospel is simply this, that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He went to a cross and he died there. It was not an execution place for him. It was an altar where he gave his life for our sins so we could be cleansed, we could be purified, we could be saved. And he was raised again from the dead so that we could have new life. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus is the good news. Cleanses us, saves us forever. However, oh, don't you like that? However, which means, and there's more. However, as we relate to him and we live with him, here's what happens. We are regularly getting cleaned up. Because there are parts of our life that's frankly not like him. No matter how long we've been saved, there are parts of our life he goes, if you'll just listen, spend time with him, he'll go, yeah, you know, I'm not like that. I wouldn't do that. I know people don't like that phrase. I find it cheesy, but it's still true. What would Jesus do? What would he do? What would he do when somebody offends him? What would he do when somebody betrays him? What would he do when somebody doesn't listen to him? What would he do? Recently, I was... Uh, Spending time with the Lord. I'm trying to do that a little bit right now. Getting purpose just solid and everything with all the changes that are coming. Right in the middle of this. This is about purpose, God. Spending time with Him. Trying to listen to Him. And all of a sudden, He says, there's a broken relationship you need to repair. God, this isn't about them. This is about me. Get back on track. (laughs) Stay focused here. I got tunnel vision. Stay with me. I want to tell you, that's not something I find easy to do. And as a matter of fact, it's not something I want to do. It's not easy. It's not painless. It's not fun. Because you know it's not going to be a nice meeting at first. Because it's all this you, you, you. There's only one way to approach a relationship where you know you've done something to fracture the relationship. You don't go and say, you did, I did, you did, I did. You just go and go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Take the high road. Say, I'm sorry. Anyway... Go make it right. Okay? All right. I will. Because you live in me. I can do this. Because this is what you would do. I might not do the thing that I find uncomfortable, but I will do the right thing that he says to do. And that's simply because I was spending time with him, abiding in him. Stuff was trimmed off so fruit can grow. And what we see emerging from this scripture is that being with him will change us to become like him. We're going to put up on screen, there's this progression, three words you're going to find in this text. Being, living with Christ, leads to becoming more like Christ, which then causes us to do what he would do. Being, becoming, doing. Take any one, of, any one of those out of the equation and you're not living fullness of abiding. Hmm. So as we get ready to close, 
You know, I just sense that there, number one, there are some people that need to shore up their purpose in life. Instead of facing every day like a drudge or, oh, I've got to work from home or, oh, I don't like my job. I'm not saying every one of you that your job is a calling of God. I'm saying maybe you just need to find out what your calling is and, find, and do that. And if it does mean changing your job to get into the calling of God, so be it. But if God has called you, Dan, if God has called you to be in the Air Force, man, you be the best airman you can be for the kingdom of God. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? I think you could be the best in that arena where Christ is needed and his kingdom needs to be extended and advanced, whether it's out there in the school or the marketplace or the healthcare, whatever it is, it's not limited to the church. And I think some of us in this 2020 have lost sight of purpose. It's just become clouded, become foggy. And Paul talks at times about, man, I'm seeing like I'm in a fog. And, and, and we need the Holy Spirit to blow that fog away for so many Christians. You're marking time instead of making time. So those of you right now that need the Holy Spirit to blow that fog away so that you live your time in the opportunities of God. I want you to just right now close your eyes. I want you to be honest with yourself and with God. And just... Maybe put one of your hands up in the air and say, God, that's me.